you, Pastor Gary. Good morning, everyone. What a privilege to be here. I, um, I do not take it for granted. To come in fellowship with uh, like-minded brothers and sisters, that is a privilege that I find profound. And I think what we've done here this morning has everything to do with the glory of God. Did I ever share a definition with you on what the glory of God is? The glory of God is anything that makes God seen. The glory of God is anything that makes God seen. So we read in Psalm 19 verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork, day unto day out of speech, night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no voice nor language where his voice is not heard. Psalm 19. When Joy and I were serving in a tiny little country called the Gambia, West Africa, um, we were way out in the sticks. No light pollution. Uh, we didn't have any lights. No electricity. No running water. No cars. And way out there in the outback of Africa, you could go out at night, and if it was a cloudless night, look up in the sky. You try to count the stars. And you say, wow, the infinity of God. That is the glory of God. The glory of God is anything that makes God seen. So if you're driving on a flat plane, and then all of a sudden you come across somewhere in the U.S. I don't know if you've ever done a drive in the U.S. And you come across a mountain range out of nowhere. You say, wow, the power of God. That he made that. That is the glory of God. If you see a newborn baby come into this world and, and you count its fingers and toes, you say, wow, the detail of God. That is the glory of God. If you look at the cross and see Jesus Christ there where you should be, where I should be, but Christ took our place, say, wow. Jesus did that for me. That is the glory of God. If you woke up this morning and looked in the mirror and thought, my goodness, Leon, you must have had this experience. My goodness, Jesus loves me. That is the glory of God. The glory of God is anything that makes God seen. And this morning as we've been singing and thinking and talking and praying, we're making Christ seen. And that's got everything to do with mission. It's got everything to do about this life-changing, life-giving, eternal, destiny-shaping message of Jesus Christ. It's all to do with the glory of God. Because it's got everything to do with making Jesus Christ seen. So sometimes people say to me, where in the world has the greatest need if you can tell me where that place is, I'll go there. It's not the right question. Because the greatest need lives right in this suburb. The greatest need is within my own extended family. The greatest need's in Afghanistan and Iraq, Western China, amongst the Uyghurs. The greatest need is that people might understand something of the glory of God 
find out who the Lord Jesus Christ is and wrestle with his claims and make a decision about whom they will serve. The question isn't where's the greatest need. The greatest need is everywhere. The question is, where's the least access to understanding the glory of God? Where's the least access to the message of Christ? And that's what mission is about. Mission and evangelism are not quite the same thing. Evangelism is reaching people who need to believe in Jesus. And mission is reaching people who don't know there's a Jesus to believe in. And so we ask, where's the least access to the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's mission. That people like us would play some part, some role, in going or sending or sustaining others that the glory of God might be more clearly understood amongst lost peoples of the world. So I get to serve with Pioneers. Pastor Gary, it's, it's one of a whole bunch of mission organizations. We've got about 240 Aussie adults out there as our long-term missionaries. Globally, we've got two and a half thousand, so we're a big international organization. But the Aussie contingent makes up around 10% of that number. So 11 of those new workers joined our teams this year, working in places, countries that end in Stan. Think of, think of all of Central Asia. Think Turkey and every other country that ends in Stan. That's Central Asia. Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Kyrgyzstan, and so on. And think Europe. Europe, they once sent the gospel. They once sent missionaries to the whole world. You can hardly find a Christian. You can hardly find a follower of Jesus in many of these post-Christian, post-modern nations. We've got 35 Aussies there playing their small part. I was just at a conference, actually, in Slovenia, preaching and speaking for a week there, and, and we, I met with several hundred of our pioneers missionaries who were seeking to make Jesus known in, in Europe. Or think North Africa. Think Algeria and Egypt and Tunisia and the places we only ever think of when they make it onto the news because of all the issues in the world. Got some of our members out there serving to make Christ known. Think Middle East and Southeast Asia and the Pacific. The whole world. Think the Americas, South America. So 11 new missionaries so far this year. Another, we have another 62 adults in the pipeline preparing to go. We praise God and pray for more. And just, um, not this week, this just happened, but the week before, we held our annual orientation week with another 23 missionaries in preparation. So praise God that he's stirring people for the sake of his glory, that God might be seen among peoples of the world. <clears throat> it's not smooth sailing, I can tell you that. And I'm going to share with you this morning, from God's word, three reasons to persevere in the work of the gospel. You could probably think of a hundred reasons. I'm going to share three. And they come straight from the mouth of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you've got your Bible, you might like to turn to it. I'm going to read out a few verses anyway. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to read from verse 7. But I'm going to read, as, I'm going to read and make some comments as we go. 
So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We know this is a, the, uh, the second of at least three letters that Paul wrote. In fact, it's the third of at least three because in this letter, he refers to things that he previously wrote about that aren't contained in the first letter. So we know he wrote other letters to the church. Maybe three, we don't know. Certainly more than two. This is called 2 Corinthians. This is one of the letters that made it into the canon, that made it into the scriptures for our benefit that God has given to us. I'm going to talk to you about three reasons to persevere in the work of the gospel, to, to never give up. Do you remember the, the famous uh, Sir Winston Churchill? He, uh, he became prime minister partway through the Second World War. He was notorious for giving extremely long speeches. He memorized his speeches. And on one occasion, he was ushered onto a platform to speak to a group of military men who were about to leave England for Europe to fight in the war. I don't know how long his speech was on this occasion, but I can tell you the most famous lines from that speech. It went like this. Never give up. Wish I could say it with that British accent. Never give up. He said, never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Never, never, never. Apparently he sat down after that. Those men, some went and gave their lives during the course of World War II. Some were never to return home. Some returned home. Do you think they ever forgot that speech? This is what Paul's getting at in this little bit of text here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'll tell you the theme of the passage. I'm going to read from verse 7, but have a look at verse 1 first. Paul says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. It means we don't give up. We don't despair. We don't lose heart. Why? Because this is God's ministry. It says the same thing in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. So the theme of the passage is perseverance. Three reasons to persevere in the work of the gospel. Here's the first reason. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul writes... But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Here's the first reason to persevere. It's the contrast between our weakness and God's power. The contrast between our weakness and God's power. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We have this treasure. What treasure? Well, you have to read the preceding six verses to find out what the treasure is. Twice in those verses, Paul refers to the treasure as the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verse 6, he says it's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. We have this treasure, the gospel, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus, this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that God is the one with all the power, 
not us. The first reason to persevere is the contrast between our weakness and God's power. I think when Paul got to this part of his letter, he was thinking about Judges chapter 7. The story in Judges chapter 7 is the story of Gideon. Do you remember that fantastic story? Do you remember how God dwindled Gideon's army down to just a handful? Well, 300. But he went from thousands to 300 men. And he went to battle against 145,000 of the Midianites. Now, I don't know, I'm not a betting person because I'm too much of a sore loser. But could you imagine betting on Gideon? 300 versus 145,000 of the enemy. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be counting on this guy. Do you remember how he secured the victory? At night, he got his men to surround the Midianite camp and he gave them all jars of clay, clay pots. Do you remember that story? And inside each pot there was a, a light, a flame, and each one had a trumpet. And Gideon said, when I give the command, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, you break the clay pots so the light might shine. You sound the trumpets. It's exactly what they did. There was confusion in the camp, and Gideon's small band of 300 put to flight 145,000 of the enemy. That is impossible. You can't do that. Apart from the miracle working power of God. I think that's what Paul is getting at here. He calls this treasure the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ Jesus. We have this treasure, this light, in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In other words, we just crack pots. Some are more potty than others, Seb, but we're all just crack pots. Why? To show that God is the one with all the power and not us. I am, I am very impressed with the vaunted accomplishments of man. Sean, not, not once, not twice, but six times we put a man on the moon and brought him back. Six times. Who thought of that? Who thought, oh, let's go to the moon? Like the audacity. Look what man can do. It is phenomenal. Last night I was flying home from Sydney in a metal tube with two or three hundred other people traveling at 800 kilometers an hour at 33,000 feet. Who can do that? Aren't you impressed with man? Unbelievable what man can do. I can be in the, in the outback of Papua New Guinea and send my wife here in Melbourne a text and within a minute she's replied. I know for some of you people, oh, that's normal. But for us old people, it's like amazing, isn't it? It's amazing what man can do. But when it all boils down, we're just jars of clay. We're just crackpots, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And God 
has put this treasure in jars of clay to show that he's the one with all the power, not us. It's amazing how we can begin to take the credit for ourselves. I'll tell you a quick story. Years ago, I was a student at a Bible college in Adelaide, and uh, we attended a pretty large evangelical Baptist church, and I was asked to preach one night for the first time. I'd never preached there before, and I was quite nervous. Um, There were 400 people in the room. It It was a special service because one of the young men in the youth group, one of the young guys, had cancer. And so to, uh, to encourage him and to identify with his suffering, a whole bunch of the young guys in the church had their heads shaved because he was having leukemia and lost his hair. And, and so kind of just like identifying with him. And, and the service went very, very late. And I was asked to get up and preach at precisely the time the church service would normally finish. Now, I think if that happened to me today, I don't know what you would do, Pastor Gary, I think if it happened to me today, I'd probably go with the flow and change some things and, and trust that God's in it. But I was very young, younger and nervous, and, and I just got up and preached. And it was long. And I tell you, you, you could have heard a, a pin drop in that service. God did something profound. Something happened. I don't, I don't quite know how to put it into words, but God was at work. And I thought to myself, I'm pretty good at this. I bet they asked me again. And they did. And some Sundays later, I was asked to preach in the morning service. And I was preaching one of my favorite passages in the Bible, Psalm 63. And when I got to the bit, it was a psalm that David wrote in the desert. Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. He's in the desert. And when I got to talking about the desert, my mouth went dry and I could not frame a word with my mouth and spit it out. I was so humbled. I asked someone to get me a glass of water, except I couldn't actually speak the words water. I had to uh, indicate that I wanted a drink and somebody went and got me some water. I don't know where from because it took them a long time to come back from the kitchen. I was so embarrassed. I wanted the ground to open up and swallow me up. And God had to remind me, you're not the one with the power. It's all of God. It's not of us. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Who are we? Clay pots. God is the one with all the power. Samuel Johnson has a a brief poem that strikes at the very heart of this. It goes like this. I thank thee, Lord, for sorrows sent to break my will of human power. For now my broken cistern spent, I find thy founts and thirst no more. In other words, God is powerful and we are not. And that's what Paul is getting at here. The first reason we persevere, the first reason we don't lose heart it's the contrast between our weakness and God's power. He gives some examples. Uh, the next verse. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Now, why are we hard-pressed on every side? Are we just made out of clay? Why aren't we crushed? Because of the all-surpassing power of God. We're perplexed. 
Have you ever been confused? Perplexed? Lord, I thought you wanted me to do this, but you seem to want me to do that. Lord, I thought you wanted me to develop that relationship. Now it's going sad. We get confused. We're not quite sure. Have you ever been perplexed? Paul has. Perplexed, but not in despair. Now why are we perplexed? Well, we're just made out of clay. Why aren't we in despair? Because of the all-surpassing power of God. We're persecuted. No, we're made out of clay, but not abandoned. Why? Because God's the one with the power. So there's the first reason. First reason to persevere in this work of the gospel, in this work of mission. We don't lose heart because of the contrast between our weakness and God's power. Here's the second reason to persevere. It's the contrast between the outer man and the inner man. It's verse 16. Have a look at this one. Paul writes, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. The second reason we persevere is because of the contrast between the outer man and the inner man. Outwardly we're wasting away. Inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Frankly, I can't do the things I used to be able to do. Uh, Hard to believe looking at me now, but there was a one point when I was an officer in the Australian Regular Army. Um, I did my training as an officer at the Jungle Warfare Training Centre. It's in Canungra. It's the hinterland just off the Gold Coast in Queensland. It was the most difficult, gruelling, most pressing thing I've ever done physically and largely emotionally in my life. Uh, We did a lot of classroom activity, but we did a lot of outdoor activity. I could climb ropes. I could traverse ropes, so the ropes that are horizontal, that across the water and the mud, I could get from that end to that end with a 4.5 kilogram self-loading rifle and my full kit and gear without falling off. I don't think I could do that today. I could run, I could run my 5Ks in 25 minutes, I could do 80 sit-ups in two minutes, and I could only ever, ever do the minimum of seven chin-ups. It's a bit embarrassing, Leon. You had to do seven as a minimum. Some blokes could do 20. I finally got to seven. I was so underweight, I almost didn't get into the army. I was a very tall, skinny young man. One of the exercises we had was um, war games, and you're preparing for war, and the we would go on three-day exercises, three days and three nights with minimal sleep. During the days, we would dig trenches in the hard clay ground. That itself was hard enough, but then during the night, the enemy would attack. And I was the section commander, and I had to be responsible for my men as well as my own life and the security of the perimeter. It was hard, hard, emotionally, physically, mentally, excruciatingly, it was tiring. And at the end of that three-day exercise, you then had to do the obstacle course. And the obstacle course is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. You would climb walls like this, without, only with each other to help you. You would climb these ropes and under barbed wire and in the dirt and in the mud and in the slush with enemy fire and grenades and smoke in your eyes. And, and at the end of the course, you had to climb a 40-foot tower 
and jump into the river. Well, river, it was like this black thing. They would say to you on the way up, are you a strong swimmer or a weak swimmer? And I said, I don't really swim very well at all. They had two divers, full wetsuits, in the water. And I said, why do they have divers down there? They said, oh, because we've lost several men over the years. I'm like, you're kidding me. Climb this ladder. The man before me couldn't jump. The full brass was there, the full colonel, and all, all, all the officers in training and a bunch of other people, the full brass. And this poor man wept and climbed down. It was my turn. I climbed that ladder. I said, Lord, here I come. I think I might be coming home sooner than I thought. And I stepped off that thing into the water, and they, the, as you hit the water, you, you sink immediately because you're muddy and soaked, 40 foot. And the divers grab you by the collar and rip you up. And I hugged them and almost kissed them. I almost got um, expelled from the army that day. But um, <laughs> that's another story. I couldn't do that today. But I could back then. Why can't I do it today? Now, outwardly, we're wasting away. We're just made out of clay. I can't do the things I used to be able to do in quite the same ways I could back then. Why? Outwardly we're wasting away. But inwardly, I pray, we're being renewed day by day. Have you ever met Christians who are older than you? Who are cranky? Miserable? Never a positive word. Don't look around, the, somebody's looking around the room making eyes at someone. Don't do that. Not really. Have you met other Christians who are older than you who are saintly, godly? You want to be like them? What's the difference? One of them is being renewed day by day. Don't neglect to do the little things you need to do to stay in touch with the living God. Don't neglect to do the little things you need to do to be renewed day by day. Prayer, reading God's word, fellowship, accountability, community, worship with our lives. Notice it's a day by day renewal. Not Sunday by Sunday. Well, Sundays are great. Not conference by conference. Conferences are great. Mountaintop experiences are all we all look forward to those. Notice it's a day by day by day by day by day by day renewal. Stay close to the living God. You'll persevere. You won't lose heart. First reason to persevere is the contrast between our weakness and God's power. Second reason to persevere is the contrast between the outer man and the inner man. I just read this morning an email that came in from one of our missionaries in the Middle East. She's a doctor from Perth. I was just preaching in her church a couple of weeks ago in Perth. Uh, she's a very fine woman. Uh, mid to later 30s now. She could be earning a fortune here. She's in the Middle East. She just wrote the most fascinating insight into her life I read it just before coming here this morning. 
and she was called to a friend's house, Muslim family's home. And as she got there with her medical skill, she knelt down to attend to the grandfather in the family who was, had already passed away and she could do nothing for him. And she said, as, as there was this screaming match of wailing to see who could be the loudest as they wept for this man's life, she sat with his wife, the grandmother, and just wept and wept. That dear old man had promised her that when Ramadan was over, he would read the Injil. He would read the New Testament, God's Word. He promised her he would read it, but he said not till after Ramadan, the Muslim fasting period. It's too late. He didn't know what it was to be renewed day by day. He didn't know what it was to know Christ. Mission is making the glory of God relevant to that man making God's glory seen in his life. I'll get to it one day, he said. I promise, straight after Ramadan, it's gone. We persevere because of the contrast between the outer man and the inner man. Jars of clay. Uh, that man didn't know when he would die, and none of us do, but he thought he could postpone this understanding of who Jesus is, but it was too late. Outwardly, we're wasting away. But inwardly, I pray, we're being renewed day by day. It's a day-by-day day renewal. Yesterday's exaggerated, and tomorrow's overrated. It's today that matters. Be renewed today. And here's the final one. The third reason to persevere is verse 17. Paul writes, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's the contrast between our present trouble and our future glory. The contrast between the trouble we have now and the glory that's to come. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So this is the perfect contrast. In contrast to light, you have weight. Momentary, you have eternal And trouble, you have glory. It's the perfect contrast. The contrast between the trouble we have now and the glory that's to come. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote a little book called An Eternal Weight of Glory. He got the title from this text. Paul's playing with words. The Hebrew word for glory means something that's heavy. Like gold is heavy. Have you ever seen gold? Sab, you would have seen gold. You're so rich. I've never seen the thing, but... You know, a little tiny piece of gold, and it's quite heavy. That's what Paul is talking about here. The glory that's heavy. It's a weighty glory. Here's the third reason to persevere in mission. It's the contrast between the trouble we have now and the glory that's to come. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And the reason I say far outweighs them all is because in the original language, do you know how it reads in the Greek? It reads, literally it reads, beyond and beyond. In other words, the glory that is to come is beyond and beyond any trouble you could experience now. It's not like one for one. It's not like, oh, I have this much trouble, oh, I have that much glory. It's not like tit for tat. It's not an equal equation. No, I have this much trouble, 
and I have a billion times more glory. It's beyond and beyond anything you could ever imagine. You think in your wildest dreams what future glory will be like, and you're not even close. You read the scriptures and the Holy Spirit ransacks the whole of our vocabulary to try and explain to us what heaven and what the Lord Jesus and what it's like there. And we don't even get close to understanding that infinite reality. It's beyond and beyond. So Paul says, we persevere. The contrast between the trouble we have now, persecution in China, keep at it because the glory that's to come. The circumstance that you're experiencing right now in your life that may be even private, you don't even talk about it with anyone else, it could be something extremely intensely personal, that thing is nothing to be compared with the glory that is to come. And so we persevere. We don't lose heart. And if you ever want to, I won't read it out to you now, but if you ever want to have a read of what Paul calls light and momentary troubles, read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Shipwrecks, floggings, beatings, jail. He calls those things light troubles. Then he says, and besides all that, I have my concern, my burden for the church, for all the churches. But their light troubles. Ever been beaten with a stick? Ever had someone get a baseball bat and beat you near death? Paul was beaten so badly on some occasions, they left him for dead. They thought he was dead. And Paul says, they're just light troubles. Ever been shipwrecked? It'd be my worst fear, my worst nightmare. Shipwrecked. Paul, on at least three occasions, was shipwrecked out in the open sea. He says, several times I was beaten with, uh, I, I was whipped with 39 times. 39 lashes. 40 lashes would kill a human being. So they gave him 39, so he would suffer all the more. Paul says those were light and momentary troubles compared to the glory that's to come. And so we persevere. Three reasons to persevere in this work of mission. Three contrasts. The contrast between our weakness and God's power. The contrast between the outer man and the inner man. And the contrast between our present trouble and our future glory. The glory that's to come far, far outweighs the trouble we have now. I'm going to quote, I don't know if I've ever done this before, but I'm going to tell you the words of a song. You'll be very pleased to know I'm not going to sing this song to you, a bit like you this morning, Sean. We all gave thanks to God quietly for that, and I'm going to just tell you the words of a song. I'm not a singer. It's a song by Ray Bolts. It's called Thank You. Do you know this song, Thank You? Yeah. Do you know it? He goes, I dreamed I went to heaven, and you were there with me. And we walked along the streets of gold and by the crystal sea. We were singing about the crystal sea this morning. We heard the angels singing and someone called your name and we turned and saw this young man and he was smiling as he came. And he said, friend, you may not know me now. And then he said, but wait, you used to teach my Sunday school when I was only eight. And every week you would say a prayer before the class would start. And one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. 
thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. And then another man stood before you and he said, Remember the time a missionary came to your church and his pictures made you cry? You didn't have much money, but you gave it anyway? Well, Jesus took that gift you gave. That's why I'm in heaven today. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. And one by one they came, as far as the eye could see, each life somehow touched by your generosity. The little things that you had done, the sacrifices made, unnoticed on the earth, in heaven now proclaimed. And I know up in heaven, you're not supposed to cry, but I'm almost sure there were tears in your eyes as Jesus took you by the hand. You stood before the Lord, and he said, my child, look around you. Great is your reward. Thank you. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to persevere in the work of mission to the glory of God for the salvation of humankind, for men and women and kids around the world, especially those with the least access to the good news. Lord, would you help us play our part? And even when someone says thank you, I will say that's all of God. To God be the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.